Welcome to Get Your Swag Back with Steve Clements. This podcast is a brash, barrier-breaking, unapologetic look at the modern male, his masculinity, and the lies he is taught on how to attract, date, and act in relationships with women. We uncover and expose the problems men have in the dating arena, especially after a bad breakup or divorce, and show them how to set their ship straight. We also look into the mind of women and why they may stay with one man versus another, unveil the secret language of women, teach you women speak, and the positive traits that women come running to when they see you in the modern masculine man. Make your comeback, take your balls back, and get your swag back. All right, all right, all right, guys. It's Steve. I'm back again. Hope you're getting your swag back. I got a great guy with me today. This man has been up and down and up and down his life and made some serious transformations in his life. Was down and out, but came back. Made his comeback, got his swag back. And the guys, let me introduce you, the man, Robert Icard. Rob, how you doing, buddy? Steve, I'm great. What's going on? Oh, man, everything is beautiful, man. Life is beautiful. Good, good. So uh, let's give the fellas a little idea about yourself and what you do, where you came from, a little bio, an intro. Sure. All right. All right. Where did you grow up So at? Yeah, I've had a bit of an interesting story. I was born and raised in Battle Creek, Michigan. I kicked around there for until I was 18, but had it in my head that I needed to do something different besides stay in my hometown. Got inspired by a little bit of music from Pink Floyd and uh, decided not to kick around on a piece of ground in my hometown and away I went to college. <laughs> so as a person, I'm the oldest of five. And a little bit of background about our history is my goal was when I left home to be the first one in our family to get a college degree of any kind. Awesome. So way I went off to college, head full of great ideas. And, you know, I can count on myself. I had to finance everything through student loans. Great. So I got a two-year degree. I successfully went out and accomplished what it was I was after, but it wasn't pretty. was not pretty. So between the time I left at 18 from high school until I got my two-year degree, met a girl, dated her for a month, got her pregnant, married her. Wow. I was in a – I rented a home, had roommates come in. We destroyed it. I got sued. was in a car accident. Oh, my God. So I graduated May, I forget, like 16th or 17th, something like that. My birthday's on the 17th. Before that, two weeks before that, my firstborn son came into the world. Wow. And he was born handicapped with spina bifida myelomeningocele. I just got laid off from working a full-time job by going to school full-time 20 hours a day so or a week. So, yeah, yeah. I was... Married with a disabled child, and I was bankrupt a few months after graduating from college. Literally, at 20 years old, married, <laughs> bankrupt, <laughs> disabled, child, jobless. <laughs> Hold on, man. Let me get my antidepressant, man. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. the remarkable transformation in that story was I did find God through all that. Awesome. I never grew up in a church. The person I married had a church background. And because of that, when my son was born, I just knew from that day that what the doctors were telling me, that he'd never control his bladder and bowels, he'd never be able to walk, he'd have 70% chance he'd be mentally slow, wouldn't be able to hear right. And I kept saying, not my son, not my son. And they kept, oh, Mr. Eckhart, you're setting yourself up for a great fall, da-da-da. And I just kept saying, not my son. 
And I believed it. Can't, just categorically believe what I was saying was the truth. He's not going to wind up a number. He's not. And that faith came true. Awesome. So my son's now a grown adult. He doesn't drive, although he's trying to get his license again because he's been in several accidents. But he's a functioning adult, paying his bills. He works, you know, full-time yeah. job. He beat the odds. Lots of surgeries, lots of prayers, lots of rehab, but he did it. That's um, amazing. I mean, that's that's an amazing life story right there. It is. Yep. That's awesome. Unfortunately, I was a mis- mixed up, misguided youth. You know, I, I come from a, a long history of people that have drinking problems on my dad's side. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a lot of guidance on how to be a man or how to be a father or really any of it, other than right. I just knew how to drink and, you know, get married and have kids. So a few years into trying to figure out how to live a life, I got I got a break and got to do a corporate job. I was in customer service. I excelled at it. It was for a company that made battery-powered riding toys. And the new owners came in, which was Black & Decker, and they set me up on, on a project because I was doing so well. I said, hey, would you take a look at what's going on here with our returns? Boss gave it to me, and away they went. Well, I figured out a way through what I was doing to save company money. And his secretary and I worked together so we could document how much money we were saving through the program. Within six months, I saved him a million dollars. Wow. So you said a million, right? A million, yep. And this is wow. back in the early 80s when that was a lot of money. That's a, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, oh, my boss was just totally floored. And we, it was at the end of the year, so the holidays were coming up, and we had a Christmas party, and he presented to me a Distinguished Contribution Award. And I was like, that's amazing. Awesome. And he gave me a whole 50-cent raise. Holy shit, dude. I guess that was a lot back then, right? (laughs) You know. So when my son was born, mind you, that my insurance covered about 80% of the medical expenses, but he was in for two weeks in ICU. He had surgery to close up the opening in his spine. He had water on the brain. I mean, there was a lot of bills. Right. So I I had like this like eight ten different doctors. I'm paying twenty dollars a month here, twenty dollars a month there on my refrigerator, and they give me a whole fifty cent month raise. I'm like this, <laughs> this is crazy talk. But what made you what made you get into that that job and excel so well? What was like was it just your hard work ethic, or what was exactly you said you really liked doing it? The information. Well, I, my granddad when I was young always said work hard, you know, and there was some some techniques I got from a mentor that kind of transitioned my success through that. And one of those techniques was to always look at what other people are doing and do more. Always okay. anticipate what your boss wants and then and deliver on what he's never letting the mask deliver on what you think he wants. Right. And always do above and beyond. If your job's eight hours, do nine hours. Now, where did you learn that from? That was I actually came from my grandfather and my dad. Just okay. kind of a combination of hodgepodge of things that they taught me over the years. Right. So I just use those simple principles and understanding that I've, I guess I've always had this feeling inside that I could do about anything. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen is I fail. Well, I know how to do that. <laughs> By 20, I knew how to do that pretty good. So <laughs> A big taste of that, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's it. You know, just hard work, doing what's ahead of you, following that awesome. simple guidelines and principles. Yeah. So you see. And just. Just having the people sense, you know, yeah. listening to people. Yeah. Awesome. So you save the company a million bucks and mm-hmm. they give you a 25 cent raise? 50. 50 cent raise. Oh, whoa. I'm sorry. 50%. 50 cents. <laughs> then what happened? What exactly did you do? Did you say, oh, thank you so much or what happened? Well, uh, I was a little grumbly. I guess that's the way I'll put it about such a wonderful thing. <laughs> they had an opportunity within manufacturing come up. 
Right. Where I could go over to be a supervisor, and I took it. Okay. So that gave me about a three thousand a year raise right off the bat to go over and do that. So then the superintendent, the guy that was training me, was promoted to superintendent. So he gave me a week training, and we made battery powered riding toys. We're supposed to make ninety um, an hour. Mm-hmm. Ninety an hour. Yeah, ninety an hour. So. He trained me, and off he went. I've never been a supervisor in my life. Right. Well, within now, the first you, three weeks. Like, you're 20 years Now old. I'm 24. Okay. So, like I said, I kicked around a while until I could finally got a break. Within two to three weeks, I broke production records on that line. Awesome. So, it was all brand new employees. It was a brand new product line going out the door, and I'm already breaking production numbers. So, the first month, I got another $3,000 raise from the plant manager. Nice. Like, what are you doing? So I kind of told him what I was doing. The next month, I was breaking production records, another $3,000 a month raise. Well, now people are really starting to look at this young snot-nosed kid running around the plant kicking everybody's ass, right? Right. I don't know any different. I'm just not having fun doing what I do. So we had a day on a Friday, for example, where all the supervisors called in sick. Well, on Friday was it's a union shop. So Friday everybody got paid before lunch. Said we go to lunch, call in sick because they would go out and get a bottle or whatever it is that they wanted at lunch and not return. So nobody made production in the plant besides me Mm -hmm. (laughs) on those days. (laughs) So I had to supervise all those other lines that day because they all called in sick to pull one on me, right? Right. But we got production numbers on all those lines, which they never do on Friday. So it was really making friends. They're circling, the, they're circling you, man. Yeah. So I got another $3,000 raise and I'm like, holy mackerel, this is, you know, this is yeah. awesome. Well, in the meantime, the union was really having a hard time with me because people were working hard. Right. So I did eventually ruffle some titles within the union and they set me up to get me fired and they did it Damn. very well. Yep. So. Wow. After having successfully gone boom, 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 and I conspired with those supervisors that I made. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so I figured that out after the fact, of course. Yeah. So here I found myself looking again, and that's when I got into sales. When did you start selling? People. So I had an opportunity to become a headhunter. Okay. So like a headhunter, yeah, a recruiter. So what I did was companies would pay me a lot of money to go find very specific people, generally at a competitor, clean them up make sure they're ready to make a move and they would hire them and pay me a fee to do so. Mm-hmm. The interesting part about it, this is pre-internet. This is pre, I mean, we had fax machines. That's it. Right, <laughs> There's right. no technology, yeah. right? So to literally start the business and selling, I got out a directory and I would get out three by five cards and I would write out 50, 70, a hundred companies to call on a three by five card. Wow. They'd have their number, their product, maybe a person to contact there and I just start cold calling mm. and the next that night get done at four o'clock you plan for the next day <laughs> sit there write out a whole bunch of three by five cards for the next day wow so in not knowing what I was doing it's just a process of numbers it really is when you first yeah. get started but eventually with some training and guidance you know it became very lucrative for me but that's how I got started literally in the trenches right with finding my own market making my own presentations, calling oh. strangers all day long. Wow. Yeah. 
What did, did you get? You say you got some training. What what training did you get from like? So I hired into a company called Management Recruiters, which uh-huh. is a recruiting firm, national. Well, it was the largest when I hired in back then. Right. So they had a whole training program. The first week was just videos. Second week was videos and practice and scripting and role playing. And then they said, you loose on the phones. So wow. I, my niche was automotive people. So anybody making car parts, I called them and harassed them, basically. And, you and I worked with, to work I was you. recruiting like quality managers, plant managers, engineers, uh, okay. vice presidents, yeah, that kind of stuff. Right. And you did that for 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. And didn't you say you got a, your own business in that, or did you start? So I bought, I bought that. The the company went independent, and then I bought the company. Previous wow. owner wanted to retire. Yeah. So you did very well financially. I did. Yeah, wow. I did. Awesome. Yeah, I, the the first year, the first full year, I was in that business. I made enough that I paid more in taxes than I W two the previous year. Wow, that's all in one year. <laughs> in one year, yeah. Yeah. How many calls did you make a day? To like, what was your number? Every- uh, when I first started, I would make 80 to 100 calls a day. Wow. Because I would just, it's pouring stuff into a funnel and see what right. comes out the bottom. Right? Mm-hmm. And so there was two people that would come out the bottom, source or client. Right. And so the source people is where I went to get the people for my client. Right. So, wow. <laughs> either you work with me as a recruiter, and if not, then I want to recruit and put them over at my client. So That's awesome, man. That yeah. is, I mean... And that's just your hard work and ethic. I mean, in that training, did that training kind of uh, accelerate your your sales and all that or just helped you? It, it did. But you really need to be able to understand personal development. Mm-hmm. It was a big figure factor into being successful as a salesperson. Right. Because it, I could see around the organization, there was a big dollar sales people, big dollars, right? But a lot of them burned out. Right. They'd be a flash in the pan. And it was personal dynamics that caused a lot of them to be a flash in the pan. In what respect? Drinking would be a one. They'd party hard. You know, they got so much success. They got money. They go out and blow all the money and, you know. Right. Crash. But to be successful in anything, you have to be steady all the way through the long haul and go through the valleys and the peaks because they're high and low. and. Mm-hmm. So my best month ever in one month, I brought in uh, $94,000 in one month, and my commission was half of that. Nice. That's that was my best month ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that year at WT, uh, just, uh, just under a quarter million that year. Yeah. That's awesome, buddy. Now, this was back in what, the 90s or 80, late 80s, 90s? That was, in, that was in the 90s. Yep. Yeah, it's a good living. That's awesome, yeah, real man. good living. Yeah. That is awesome. So what, what happened after... I knew, I guess, what was it, 2008, the market crash or something affected your business or something Sure. Else? So through all that personal development and growth, I quit drinking, by the way. I'm an alcoholic. Oh, yeah. I quit. I beat the addiction. You I went back to that. it. I was married at that time to Satan's sister, um, <laughs> which was, I started the story with. I only knew her a month before I got her pregnant. And I slept with her once. So wow. we, made it, we made it 25 years. So the divorce came in 2008 when the economy crashed. And I lost everything. Right. Um, but I went back to drinking. I quit for eight years, but I just After wasn't ready to give it up. Alcohol, you know, alcohol is baffling, cunning, powerful. Yeah. So, um, Talk 2008. About Talk about that, that. That overcoming the alcohol and you, what you slipped back into it and then you eventually overcame it. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to be sober on the 10th for 3,900 straight days. That's awesome, buddy. Congratulations. Yeah. No, on the, on the 16th. Yeah. 
you know, it's life was very unmanageable. I guess is the best way to put it. I was making a good income. I was miserable with my wife. I'd wake up madder than hell in the morning, but I don't remember why. Mm-hmm. You know, they call them brownouts. I had two wonderful kids at the time, and I, I decided I needed help, so I went and got help from a psychologist. And she said, hey, do you think you're an alcoholic? And I'm like, well, sure. My Everybody on my dad's side drinks. Of course I am, <laughs> you know. She said, well, try limiting it. And that was the start of learning how to live without alcohol. Right. I couldn't limit it. Yeah, I couldn't limit it. Right. So after that was lots of meetings because you really can't do it alone. You have to have a higher power. You really do have to give it up. And I remember that first time and I talked about finding my creator, finding God when my son was born. I found it again when I quit drinking. And that that whole wave of forgiveness that hits you just like wave after wave after wave because alcoholics are very good liars. They do, right. I mean, it's just what we are yeah. telling stories and, you know, so I didn't have to live like that anymore. Right. And I couldn't fathom that I could be forgiven for being who I was when that wave hit and, and I quit. I mean, that was just like freedom Right. that lifted a huge weight off of my shoulders that I could now live a whole different life. I didn't have to be that person no more. Right. And you talk about forgiveness. You forgiving yourself. Mm, Both, yeah. Yeah. Because I couldn't understand. I always carried this guilt around. You know Mm -hmm. that how how could anybody forgive me? You know for what I do, for what I say, for what I've done. What what exactly did that come from? Do you know, or did that was that just a uh, thing you grew up with? Because I'm Catholic. I mean, no. Well, (laughs) well, yeah, I get that. (laughs) Well, alcoholics are dishonest. They just are. They're dishonest with themselves. Right. You know, because they don't think they have a problem. They're dishonest with the world around them. Mm-hmm. They have to run over and prop up all these things that they think people want them to be at that time to be able to continue doing their addiction. Right. And so in the process of doing all that, you're if you're not honest with yourself, this guilt message comes in, which drives that person to always go back. Oh, what's the point? Yeah. Who you cares? Up, you know, right? Yeah. Why why bother? Oh, that didn't go the way I thought it would. Well, what's the point? You, you know. Yeah. You're never going to be anything more. So, exactly. so you always had this built-in reason to go back. And alcoholics will drink when it's great and they'll drink when it's bad. So yeah. it's, you know. Yeah, I, well, I lost a friend to uh, alcohol. He had cirrhosis of the liver. And um, he was like a brother to me. It hurt a lot. But, I mean, he just... He just wouldn't help himself. So that's an amazing, and when you say 3,900 days of sobriety, yeah. dude, kudos to you. That's amazing. I Thanks. mean, God bless you. So, But to after- get there, I had to lose everything, Steve. I had to lose everything in 2008. I did. So all the self-development stuff I was learning, you know, put a goal out in front of you, visualize where you want to go, see the house on the hill. I did all that. So all the goals, all, all the goals that I set, I want to do this. I want to do it. I did it. You know, I've been to Hawaii five times or six times. I mean, I did it. Did you feel empty though? With all at, at times. Yep. Yeah. It was like, now what? Right. Okay. I, I rose to this, um, this amazing thing and I look around. Now what? When I lost everything in 2008, all my customers were automotive. All of them went bankrupt. Every one of them. Wow. And at that time I was trying to sell a house. And I was building a house on a lake, my dream home in right. northern Michigan. So I had two pieces of property. I gave the one on the lake away. It was listed at nine hundred and eighty thousand, and I short sold it for five hundred. Wow. The house that my wife ended up getting um, that went on the market at six seventy five, and we gave it back to the bank. We owed two twenty five. 
Wow. Gave that back to the bank because they wouldn't accept even a reasonable offer when I was in foreclosure. Uh, but I lost it all. My boat, my cars, my truck, houses, my retirement account went to her in my divorce. Wow. I'm still paying alimony. <laughs> I wow. ended up owing the IRS. I just literally paid off the IRS this year from wow. all the debt that I carried from the IRS going through losing my business. Because I was paying employees. I was trying to make sure my employees were taken care of through a downturn. Right. So I was borrowing from Peter to pay Paul and ended up digging a hole. So I literally lost everything. It was $1.8 million worth of wealth gone. Oh History. My God. Gone. Oh my God. Basically was bankrupt in 2010. Yeah. Good Lord. Second time. That, I mean, good God. So, so then what happened? What exactly did you do? Is this when you started sobriety or is this when mm. you already started it? I did manage to find a good woman. And I'm the kind of person, I'm going to tell you, that I need to have a woman in my life. It's just me. That's how I am. I have to have somebody else to care for, and I have to have somebody else to care for me. That's just me. So I came to that realization after the divorce that I sorted out who I really was. The second thing that happened through all that is I I found out who I really am. I realized that my entire life up to that point, I was living it for other people and not myself. Right. I was living it upon the expectations of what I thought other people wanted for me, what other people thought I should be, what other people thought I should live, what other people thought I should believe, but not me. Yeah. So when I lost it all, I call it debris now, it was the debris of my life, and you're left with nothing, it really gives you a place to go, wow, what is it all about? What do I really want? What do I really like? Because all this dancing I was doing for everybody else got me nothing. Right. Here I am, an empty shell of a human being with a couple of bags of clothes. <laughs> you, know, right. Right. you know, boils down to that. So I met a good woman, and I was able to, through that process of saying, this is who I am, when I met that right woman, to say to that person, here's who I am. This is what I believe. This is what I look for in a person. This is how I respond to things. If this is okay with you, then I would like to continue on. And if it's not, it's okay. Right. And she was able, she was able to do the same thing with me. And what was amazing was I can tell you to this day that literally we love each other because we breathe. We've not had any expectations. She's never tried to fix me. She's never tried to change me. None of that stuff. So I found a good woman. And because of that, if I don't have to deal with that part of my life being fixed or changed, thinking somebody thinks I'm less than what I should be and all that kind of stuff that goes with it, I'm free then to be more than what I am because I don't have funny thinking that I'm less than what I am. Right. So, you're not so I had a good woman was a big turnaround of that. Yep. That's and awesome. then I, I did get a DUI and that was, that was it. I stopped. I got a DUI and that was the end of it. I'm done. I set it aside. I did some AA for a while. I went on to become a certified coach for another form of recovery, which slips my mind at the moment, but it's basically NLP. And I, I, that was it. I just said, you know what? I'm not going to live like that anymore. I'm not going to put people's lives in danger anymore. I don't like how I feel when I drink. I don't like a person that makes me when I drink. I don't like the, what it does to other people when I'm behaving this way. Yeah. I just stop. Right. So I want something bigger and better for my life. And this is, this is not it. And I have been a happy man ever since. I don't miss it. I don't regret it it's awesome. one bit. Yeah. Awesome. I, I don't I don't even think of a day that I have. I quit smoking 
cigarettes like nine months after that. So nice. it's been 10 years for cigarettes for me too. Dude, that's, I mean, that's, a, that's freaking amazing. I, I mean, I wish you would have talked to my, my buddy. I swear, you know, it just, you're coming from me who was not an alcoholic or, you know, big drinker and trying to talk to him and to do stuff. It just, he went to AA for a little while, but he just never, never dug into it. Go to the NLP a little bit. How did that help you? Did that kind of a leapfrog you give you a little quantum leap to get better or like kind of focus on you or become live your truth who you are well i was fortunate enough back in the 90s when tony robbins first came out to see him do a live talk in grand rapids michigan and he touched he was just entering into nlp at that time which is neuro-linguistic programming right which basically is that our whole lives are run upon the words and the beliefs we have associated with those words or the meanings that we attach to those words mm -hmm. so that our behavior day to day literally as our brains running is off of that information right. every single day so when i quit smoking and all that kind of stuff i would go on these walks because i it's emotional you're a, you're a ragged just a raw nerve because you've been addicted to something Right. And I'm like, all right, what, what am I afraid of? What am I, why, why am I feeling this way? And I just start asking myself that question. And it would start down those conversations of, oh, well, maybe I'm afraid of this. Well, why are you afraid of that? Well, yeah. because of this. Well, why, why would this cause you to be afraid of that? And so I was able to, on a walk, you know, within 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes process the source of why I was feeling that particular emotion which is if you do neuro-linguistic programming is basically the same thing. You have an emotion or a feeling it's affecting your life. So you want to source it. And why did I get that belief to that? Why is that? Which goes back to, I didn't know what a man was. So <laughs> if yeah. I didn't know what a man was, my belief was a hodgepodge of what I saw around me and what other people put into me. So I had to go out and research how to be a man mm -hmm. in order to be one. I didn't know how to be a father. I had to go out and research on how to be a good father because all I had was everybody else's input, but I had no idea. Right. So I had to learn that. So that's what neurolinguistic programming does is it takes you to that root cause of your belief that causes you every day to do and say and behave the way you are. Right. Two things. Yeah. What was the most influential book on masculinity or being man that you read? Ironically, it's called Psychology of Winning by Dr. Dennis Whaley. Dennis Whaley, yep. yep. In the Bible. In, in the, the Bible, Bible. Awesome. Yep. I got all I got all my manly, fatherly, humanly things from the Bible because it literally said God says if you do this, I'll give you that, and so I did it, and He did. Right. <laughs> His promises were true. true. <laughs> yeah, so you know, and it took time. It takes right. time to change and integrate that stuff into yes. your life. You know, you want to plant the seed and harvest tomorrow, but you know, some of this stuff took nine months, eighteen months, years. But it launched me into coaching. I mean, I coached for twenty years and was very successful with the kids and church and all that stuff. And that's awesome. What was like, what was one of your pain points that you said, why I have this fear or pain? Why do I have it? What was like a really main one? If you, if you want to indulge with that, if you don't, that's cool. Oh, you're really getting deep into my psyche. Yeah. So uh, for some reason, I don't know where it came from. And some people say, well, it's Satan or some people say this or that. But the reality of it was I've always felt less than what I was. Right. Not good enough. Always not good enough. Yeah. And so I'm performance driven and other people knew how to push my performance buttons to drive me. Right. So I was a puppet to other people because they knew how to do it. And, that, to and, and, and inside of me year after year, after year, after year, that was the continuing sore spot inside of me. That was a continuing thing that always ate at me. 
And it was finally good to get rid of that. Right. Yeah, I know a lot of guys suffer from that. They they want this acceptance mainly from their father. They had to get acceptance from their father. They wanted to prove something to him or get his approval. And that's that's a lot of I mean, that's not something that's deep. I think that's a lot of a lot of guys I've talked to as well have had that same issue. And there's nothing, you know, it's it's a beautiful thing to discover that and just say, Hey, I'm living for me. I'm not gonna live for other people. I'm living for me. That's awesome. I mean, you found that out and you've been very successful in your life, which has, uh, you know, that hard work ethic. Plus, now that you realize, you know, you're working for yourself. I mean, that's that's yeah. what it's all about. And you've got a beautiful, you attracted a beautiful woman into your life who will help you along the way. Going into your coaching, what uh-huh. exactly are you coaching people or guys or whoever on? Well, I, I first want to point out a few things sure. some people believe in the curse some people don't but i broke our generational curse so i want to say that because it looked like the history of my family was to drink have kids get divorced and repeat i mean that just seemed to be it for generations upon generations my daughter went to the naval academy graduated with a bachelor's in astronomical engineering she's wow. finishing up her master's degree my uh, next my youngest son got his bs degree and he runs he was supervisor in a lab in the university of colorado hospital and then my other son you know beat the the disease that, that he was born with so that whole curse now and my generation has been changed you broke it i broke it broke so what i coach on it revolves around the idea that winning is a teachable skill courage is a teachable skill mm-hmm. that's so that's um, important that is so important for these guys to hear it, well it is and if you watch i watch sports teams and listen to coaches a lot and because I coach so much, I kind of listen to the words more, probably more than other people. But you can literally program your team to win or lose based on the way you present yourself to that team and the words that you choose. That's so awesome. And it all starts here, and then it transforms the team. And a lot of teams we see, like the NFL that was just up, I just watched the Colts lose. My opinion was they don't know how to win. Right. Nobody taught them how to win. So at the end of the day, the Bills won. They played well. They just didn't know how to win. So that's something that's a skill that can be taught. So that's what I coach around. And then I coach around addiction and basically sorting out NLP or sorting out your emotions. There's 10 basic emotions we all feel. You can funnel them in any way you want. But knowing what that message is, what does it mean? And then being able to respond with that, take action off of that message so that it doesn't have the power of you anymore. Right. So... When you work through this whole process, you get to the point where I'm at, where I don't take anything personal anymore. I really don't. I can't remember the last time somebody did something or said something that offended me or personal. It doesn't matter if it's a boss or my wife who has a hard time telling me corrective action. This is where I'm like, oh, you think I'm a bitch? You're going to think, no, just tell me what's on your mind. Yeah, exactly. So, which is a beautiful place to live your life. Right. If you're if you're not bogged down through the prism of what I call pain, most of what causes all this is we're seeing life through pain. Once you take that pain out of the picture and you feel the warmth that comes from it, the love, and your brain is just all of a sudden free from all that garbage that goes with pain, it's amazing what you can do if you want to do it. Right. So what was your biggest pain, if you don't mind me asking? Was it is it the acceptance or that wanting to be you didn't feel like you were good enough? Was that one of your biggest pains? You don't have um, to go, man. It's all well, good. no, no, it's all right. 
most of it involves around pleasing other people. I mean, right. and not being feeling like I was good enough because my expectations were always based upon what other people were telling me right. I was right. and not what I was, which is hard to live your life that way. Yeah. And then the other part of it is just because of my childhood and the, and the, some of the really horrible things that I saw, there was always a brokenness right. that came with that. For example, I pulled my dad off my mom. He was right. beating her, right? Wow. That day changed my life forever. I went to a whole different school. He told me he never wanted to see me anymore. I mean, it was horrible, just traumatic stuff. Right. So I carried a pain for a long time that associated with love. So I didn't see love as something warm, accepting, and beautiful and lovely. I saw it as a tool, as a weapon, as a source of right. bad feelings. So, And I carried that a lot longer than I thought I did. I really did. It took me until my mid-40s to maybe 50 to finally get over all that. You know what? That's junk in the past. It's not that, my stuff. That's his stuff. Exactly. I just had to witness it. You know? Exactly. Now, did, did the Bible and the NLP help you with that? Both. Absolutely. Awesome. awesome. You have to have a creator. You have to have a higher power in your life. Right. I'm not here to tell anybody what to believe or how to believe, but I will say you have to have a belief. If you're ever going to accomplish anything in your life that's fulfilling, that feels rewarding internally, you have to have that beyond your bigger purpose. Because if you just do it, like I said, in my other job, you hit a goal and you get in, you're like, well, that it? That's all yeah. there was. Nothing. You get this empty, right? So you have to have a bigger purpose inside of you and you have to have a source of forgiveness for the pain to go away. You just have to get that out to be free to move forward. Right. You have to have a creator. You just do higher power and you need to meditate. Listen to what he has to say. I remember the day I came out that was in my thirties, probably 33 a couple of things that were life transformational. I, about 30, I discovered that I didn't know anything about nothing. And I confess that. <laughs> <laughs> all I knew how to do was screw up my life, make right. myself feel bad, and all the people around me. <laughs> well, at least you admit it, right? <laughs> From that day forward, my life changed a lot because wow. then I was open to learning. I realized that I had so much more to learn, and I learned more that year than I did. I swear to first 30 previous years, and then the next year, I swear, I just like quadrupled and dupled. It just kept going on and on. Right. But I do remember a day that I literally pulled the car over, and I could just see that the life I was creating and the misery that it was causing me, that there was a different life. And I pulled the car over because all I had to do was just stop pursuing this and start walking into one from my creator. And I did that, and I bawled. I have to tell you, I probably bawled 10 minutes on the side of the road crying when it hit me that hard. Um, wow. But it just changed all my direction. Wow. That's amazing. So that's why you need to have a creator in forgiveness, too, is you have to have that ability to know that no matter how bad and men screw up, I mean, we can fuck shit up. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we don't, a lot of us can do it real good, yeah. you know. So, and we are. And I said, live with it. You know, as men, just live with it. Fess up move forward, learn from it because yeah. it's that stuff that we carry around because of it that we think we're less than and we're screw ups or we're liars and all that right. other stuff. It kills us. Yeah. And we are not attractive people to others when we're like that, especially yeah. women. We're just not. Exactly. I mean, living your truth, like you said, with, to your wife, living your truth. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. I'm unapologetic about it. Like me or not, take it or leave it. And that's beautiful. That's, that's a great way even to think about dating, you know, and looking for what you want in a woman, because you always have that list of what you want as well. Yep. And you and you had that. And that was, I mean, you're ahead of the game. You're ahead of the curve. All right. We're going to do a little fast and furious here. Five questions. Sure. The most influential book. 
they can grow rich. Awesome. Most influential person in your life? Probably my grandfather. Grandfather. That's awesome. What's your favorite, like your go-to saying that, that one thing that just says, okay, this is what I'm about. Next. Awesome. <laughs> Next. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> just this, this, how I am. It's just like, okay, that's time. What's next? That's time. What's next? That's, I, I love being alive. I love participating in everything that's around me. So it's. All right. What's the most like inspiration, like a movie that you just like, it's a go-to movie. I, this, this fires me up. I love this movie. Oh Lord. I'm not huge into movies cause I'm a bit ADDs for me to sit and watch something that long. Oh, is wow. hard. My wife will tell me that <laughs> when she first met me, it drove her nuts. Cause I couldn't sit for five, 10 minutes. Crazy enough. Probably Lion King. Lion King? Crazy enough. Probably the Lion King. Yep. That's funny. Okay. Yep. Got a great message, yeah. And what's the best advice you can give to a guy who is recovering from like a bad break of divorce or even any bad thing happening to his life? Feel it. And get get through it. Feel it. Don't put it off. Don't hold off. Don't put off that pain. Don't feel it. put off that sorrow. Don't put off that grief because you're grieving loss. You know, yeah, you feel less than. You feel like, you know. You feel like you failed. You feel like if you did, you should have tried something different. You should have tried harder. I mean, there's a number of things we go through. They'll put it off. Go through all those feelings and feel them. Cry those damn tears out. Get them done. Right. Feel it. Feel it and feel it. And guess what? It'll stop feeling sometime. And it might take a day. It might take an hour. It might take, I can tell you, there's periods that I cried for months in my life because of things that happened in my childhood that I had to feel. Right. So my message is feel it process it learn from it and move on and if you need help get a coach get a mentor right right yep. give, give us the, your website or your um information we can get uh, to if you want to get in, in touch with you i can be reached through facebook at have a power day is my small group or is my group on facebook my business is rsi consult coach salting so i coach and consult uh, you can find that on Facebook or on the internet at www.rsicoachsalting.com or the Confident Caregiver because I have, I'm in senior care and I have a passion for that too. So I have a website called the Confident Caregiver. Awesome, man. God bless you, man. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Happy anniversary. You're welcome. Well, Steve, thank you for the opportunity to share. Yes, you know, I think all of us have a, a story to tell and thank you for this platform. Yes, sir, man. I appreciate you. Gratitude. All right, man. Same here. All right, All right guys. Thanks. You heard it, man. Rob, Robert Icard, great story, a great uh, turnaround, transformational life. And if you want to get in touch with them, we'll leave the information at the bottom of the podcast. But my mission is to help 300 million men worldwide to make their comeback, take their balls back, and get their swag back. All right, guys. And remember, it ain't over till they're patting you on the face with a shovel. Steve Clements signing off. I'll see you next time. Dude, that was that was awesome. Thank you for tuning in to Get Your Swag Back podcast with Steve Clements. And if you like this shit, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you know anyone that may need to hear this podcast, which is 90% of the men in the world, send them my way. Please send us your feedback, questions, and comments to swagbackdoc.doc at gmail.com. I love reading hate mail. Thanks for listening, and fellas, take your balls back and get your swag back. See you next podcast.